The following is message number three of the Southeast Blending Conference held in Atlanta, Georgia on the evening of March 26, 2011. The title of the message is Possessing the Good Land by Defeating the Satanic Forces. And the speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. From time, <clears throat> from time to time in the Lord's ministry, it's necessary for us to address uh, rather directly the subject of the spiritual warfare fought by the body of Christ to enforce and apply the victory of Christ on the cross. Uh, we do so uh, under the covering of the Lord's prevailing, overcoming, invincible blood. And we look to him, as Joshua eventually did, as the commander of the army of Jehovah, that we would be one with him and that he would speak to us in the principle of incarnation what we need to hear and cause us to see what we need to see tonight. Uh, before we come to the outline itself, I need to point out uh, some things, how many we will see. But there is a governing principle in God's administration in the universe and his way of dealing with the fundamental problem in the universe, that is, the rebellion of Satan and all that resulted from it. The first thing we need to see is that God is the creator, and his enemy is a creature. No matter how powerful the fallen angel and his host may be, they are distorted creations of God, causing a problem, producing chaos. But God cannot and will not lower his status as God to deal directly with a creature, a rebellious creature. That would be dishonoring to God. So according to the record of creation and recreation in Genesis 1, Man was created in God's image to express him and was given God's authority to represent him and to subdue the earth. That word subdue in the record in Genesis 1 is an indicator that there is lawlessness, there is rebellion, there is resistance on the earth. The battlefield is related to the earth. <clears throat> uh, 
And the man God created, a corporate man, expresses him. Then by expressing him, this corporate man is qualified to represent God with his authority to recover the earth from the hand of the enemy. This is not something God will do himself as God. This principle is reinforced when God became a man in our precious God-man, the Lord Jesus, and the Lord was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the devil tempted him first by saying, if you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. What was the temptation here? Notice the enemy addressed him as the Son of God. Since you are the Son of God, why not make a display of the fact you are the Son of God? And do a miracle. Change the stones into bread. After all, you're hungry. It's been 40 days. The Lord answered by saying, Man. 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 I am here as a man. If he had responded to the subtle appeal to his deity. If you are the son of God, do this. He would have lost the standing for dealing with the enemy on the earth. Because the son of God, as the son of God is not the proper one to deal with the enemy. This is man's responsibility. So our Lord discerned the stratagem of the devil and answered, man, man. Man shall not live on bread alone. I am here as a man. So we need to realize that in the warfare that we must participate in, this is something that God as God will not do. That would be demeaning to him. A creature must deal with a creature. The second thing I would say, and perhaps that's all we need for this initial word, we'll see, is that this is the most costly exercise in the lives of believers. That in doing almost anything, we can reserve something for ourselves. In preaching the gospel, we may 
keep ourselves to a certain extent, even use the self. And doing certain spiritual things in the church. And teaching the Bible. In ordinary speaking. And shepherding saints. But, in doing the work of God, to execute Christ's victory over Satan, no ground, whatever, can be left to the self. I commend to you the book, The Glorious Church, and The Glorious Church, Brother Nee dwells on this in a remarkable way. And he points out that Satan fears only one kind of person. That is someone who will deny himself in an absolute way. Now here is the situation portrayed in Joshua. We saw that for God's people to obtain the Passover lamb, there was no warfare. Same thing with the manna. And we'll see tonight that when they entered the good land, they ate the produce of the land, the kind of gleanings that was there. And at that time, the manna ceased. Now, in order for the enemy to be evicted from the earth through the execution of Christ's victory upon him, God must have a group of believers who will do the work of God to evict the enemy by enforcing the victory of Christ. But in order for this to take place, There can be no ground in their being for the enemy to work and nothing can be reserved for the self. And when the enemy meets this kind of redeemed person, then he will fear and he will withdraw. Regarding the good land, the promised land, which typifies the all-inclusive Christ for our experience and enjoyment, there is war. God's people did not simply enter Canaan and settle down and grow barley and wheat grow pomegranates and olives. The land was 
occupied and their entrance was contested. And the only way for the Lord to recover the land, the covenanted land, was for an army of his people to evict the enemy through war. This simply has to happen. The Lord then must have an army composed of believers who see this principle, the principle that God as God will not act with his almighty power to deal with the enemy. A creature must deal with the creature. And man, humankind, was created by God for this purpose. But if you consult the glorious church, where Brother Nee speaks of this, you will soon discover this is a work with the highest requirement. And Brother Nee points out that in doing so many spiritual things, necessary things, one may reserve something for the self. In preaching the gospel, in teaching the Bible, in serving in the church, in caring for the saints, we may reserve something of the self and carry on that service with some degree of blessing. But, when it comes to warfare against the enemy, enforcing and applying the victory of Christ, the self cannot be spared in any way. This is the work of God to force the enemy of God to relinquish his illegal usurpation of the earth. The earth is God's because he created it. The earth is God's because he redeemed it. But this usurper will not yield readily. He must be forcibly evicted not only by power, but by authority. And according to the picture now in the book of Joshua, you have the land of Canaan, which we saw in Deuteronomy 8, typifies the all-inclusive Christ with his unsearchable riches. But that land was occupied by the most degraded beings the earth probably had ever seen. 
And finally, the iniquity, the evils, were made full. And that was the land promised to the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The possessing of that land was the object of deliverance from Egypt. The land was the goal. And the land is filled with giants. It's occupied. The cities are formidable. And the only way to repossess the land is by war. By war spiritually understood, according to the proper principle, And until and unless that war is fought, there is no way for God's people to possess their God-allotted inheritance. There's a usurper there. My life was changed when I read The Glorious Church in 1968 where Brother Nee wonderfully unveils this. He says you may spare something of yourself in preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible and serving the church and helping the saints. But in doing the work of God to cause Satan to suffer loss for the kingdom of God, nothing of the self can be preserved. Now I'd like to gently inquire, not for your outward answer, as to how many of you have read the glorious church and read that first chapter on God's purpose and God's rest and read the material to which I've just referred. If you've ever read it, what did you do with it? How did you respond to it? My response is altogether to the Lord's intercession. To the Lord's mercy. I was under 30 years old. I didn't know much in the way of life. I'd only been in the recovery for two years. But I made an irrevocable decision... To go this way. To participate in this work. To force Satan. To evict Satan. Demanding his withdrawal. From what is of the Lord's. And this is what we have now. In message three. In Deuteronomy 8 is a vision of this good land, a land of wheat, a land of barley, a land of water books, land of olive trees, pomegranates, figs. It's exceedingly rich, signifying the all-inclusive Christ for our experience and enjoyment. But the way to experience and enjoy such a Christ 
is blocked by the full force of the enemy and his followers. It's blocked. Now on the cross, Christ died an all-inclusive death. And we know from Hebrews 2.14, he destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. We know from Colossians 2 that he stripped off the principalities and powers that were swarming around him. He made a display of them openly and triumphed over them in the cross. The victory has been won. But it is the responsibility of the church to maintain and apply this victory. If the church does not fulfill this responsibility, we will reach a point where everything stops. All the people of God are on this side of the Jordan. The land of Canaan typifying the all-inclusive Christ is there. The land is occupied. The only way to repossess it is by war. By war, in a coordinated way, under Joshua's leadership. Sooner or later, the Lord will gain the overcomers who for the sake of the entire body of Christ, consisting of all the believers, they will fight this battle in the body and for the body so that the way will be open for all the beloved believers in Christ to enjoy their inheritance, their part of the good land. And for this, war is necessary. There's no negotiation. There's no bargaining. The enemy is a usurper. He is there illegally. God created the earth. On the cross, the Lord redeemed the earth. And we are here to evict the enemy from the earth. So that the kingdom of God may come, producing a realm where the house of God can be built up, and then there will be on the earth the fulfillment of Genesis 1.26, image and dominion. The title of the message tonight is Possessing the Good Land by Defeating the Satanic Forces. If you would return home after the conference and you found out a vicious armed usurper had broken into your house and was established there, you are the rightful owner. 
But now you need to have a way to evict that usurper. You cannot coexist with him. You won't bargain with him. You won't yield to him. God's terms to the enemy are total defeat and absolute victory. So from time to time, and this is one of the times when we need to consider uh, this dimension. I kind of doubt, but I really don't know how the message will unfold. I don't think we'll have an exciting time. I don't think we'll end up marching around the meeting hall with a lot of natural enthusiasm. In a way, this is not the fight itself. On the other hand, the battle has been joined and is going on as I speak. Point one says, Satan, the enemy of God, has been doing his best to hinder the people of God from enjoying Christ as the all-inclusive one. This is one of his major stratagems, to hinder God's people from enjoying Christ as the all-inclusive one. You look carefully at our hymnal. I'm no musicologist. It might be profitable to compare our hymnal with every other English hymnal in existence. And you tell me if there are any sections or even hymns on the all-inclusive Christ. I would like to know. Can you find a hymn that matches hymn 510? I found the one of peerless worth. And Christ is everything. This is a unique matter in the Lord's recovery. That's a fact. The real situation, and this is the first round of the war tonight, is that very few believers, even in the Southern Bible Belt, really care for Christ himself. They care for this or that thing, this or that experience, this or that matter. Before 1962 December, who in this country had ever heard of one called the all-inclusive Christ? There is no war over a lamb. And there is no war, really, to keep an unbeliever from experiencing redemption through Christ, the Lamb of God. And there is no war over manna. The enemy will let you gather manna your whole life. Go ahead. You're out of Egypt, but you're not in Canaan. Make manna cakes, manna souffle, manna balls, manna pie, 
Mana flakes, mana soup. Write a cookbook on a hundred and one ways to make manna. But you're not going there. If you intend to go beyond manna, it's war. But most believers, this is just a fact, it's not a criticism, have no idea there's anything more than lamb and manna and the smitten rock. You speak of the all-inclusive Christ, Christ who is God and man and the reality of every positive thing in the universe. It's a foreign language. And this is not an accident. Satan has been doing his utmost to hinder the people of God from enjoying Christ as the all-inclusive one. And he has been working night and day on every one of us for years until we finally react against him with godly rage and say, I refuse to be defrauded of Christ any longer. Amen. You enemy of God, go to the lake of fire. Amen. I will not be robbed anymore. Amen. I claim my birthright. I claim my inheritance. Amen. There needs to be such a reaction in spirit. Not as a mood swing. The enemy will recognize a mood swing. But there's this realization. I will not be robbed. I will not be defrauded. I will not be cheated. I'm an heir of God in Christ. I just ask for my portion of the all-inclusive Christ. He will do whatever he can to keep us from enjoying Christ as the good land. And he's a shrewd psychologist. He will manipulate our moods. He will entice us with things. He will distract us. But I consider it a sign of victory that many of us in this room tonight have no idea who's in the final four. We don't know where it's being played, who's in the final four, who knows, maybe I'm a month behind. Who cares? To this day, evil forces are veiling the all-inclusiveness of Christ from God's people. So when we first began to speak of this, you know what the religionists said? This is pantheism. You're a bunch of pantheists. That means you think everything in the material universe is divine. The tree is God. Bunny rabbits are God. Armadillos are God. Orangutans are God. Palm trees are God. Ants are God. Cockroaches are God. Everything's God. 
This is their pathetic view. God created so many things in the universe so that when God became a man, he could point to them as types or symbols of himself. The Son is not God, but Christ is the Son of righteousness. Amen. He is the real Son. Amen. The enemy veils this. People get saved when they're a child. That's all they can do on a Sunday evening service for the next 60 years is recount the ABCs of their elementary kind of salvation. Where in the United States of America tonight, where in any college, in any seminary, in any graduate school, is a mature, Christ-seeking, Christ-enjoying, Christ-constituted God-man. I'm not intimidated by your degrees. I've been there. I know what's there. You may be pious persons, you may be ethical persons, you may be theologically informed persons. But do you enjoy Christ in his all-inclusiveness? Can you join us in singing from the depths of your being, hymn 510, I have found the one of peerless worth. My heart doth sing for joy. For sing I must, for Christ I have, and what a Christ have I. But when we declare this, in your darkness you may say pantheism. We do not identify God with the material universe. But our Christ is not only the Savior. He is God, He is man, and He is the reality of every positive thing in the universe. Our Christ is all-inclusive. Christ is my clothing. Christ is my strength. Christ is my life. Christ is my vision. These trifocals signify the triune God. Read Colossians. Read it with a seeking spirit. Read it with an open mind. What a Christ you have. Universally vast. But many are veiled. So there is an exceedingly real spiritual warfare in which we must engage. 
We must fight the battle to gain the all-inclusive Christ for the building up of the church as the body of Christ, the new man, and the kingdom of God. And that is what is portrayed in Joshua. It is the battle for the possession of the good land, which we know from Deuteronomy 8 is a type of the all-inclusive Christ. That land is being occupied. We have the right of inheritance. Joshua, the victorious Christ, is our leader. And we are here about to cross the Jordan in which we will bury our old man and fear and tremble, enemy, because here we come. Amen. This land is ours. Like the folk song said, but now applied in a different way, this land is your land. This land is my land. The all-inclusive Christ. And we will not coexist with an enemy and with a usurper. Based upon the victory of Christ, we will engage in war. There will be no surrender. This total annihilation of the enemy. That is the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. Now the second section. Without the book of Joshua, we cannot fully understand the spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. Israel's fighting against the inhabitants of the land portrays the invisible warfare, spiritual warfare that is taking place behind the visible scene on earth. And at this juncture, I'd like to read three footnotes in a striking sequence. The first is footnote 1 on Exodus 23, verse 23. We want to understand the significance of the pagan tribes. And it has more than one level of significance. The various pagan tribes that occupied the land signified the different aspects of our natural life. Where are the believers today? Where are the famous preachers on TV today that can help the believers deal with the natural life. I'd like to ask the dear fellow believers now in the South, what teaching, what ministry, what sermons have you heard that gave you help on knowing and dealing with the natural life. I don't know of any. I doubt if there are any, but I don't say that with assurance. Why not? Because the preachers themselves do not know the natural life. So they cannot help other believers, to have this discernment. 
the gods, idols of the pagan tribes, with the demons behind them, represent the spiritual forces of evil. Behind our natural life are the forces of evil. Who will tell the believers this? In the religious south tomorrow morning, who will tell the people, do you live according to your natural life? Do you know that behind your natural life are forces of evil? This is not just the flesh. This is your natural life. Who discerns this? Who can war against this? Who is even willing to know this? Then who will pay the price to have the natural life in them? cut to pieces by the cross so that their being is in resurrection in the spirit, in the body. To war against this enemy. Behind our natural life are the forces of evil who utilize, manipulate, and direct the aspects of our natural life to frustrate us from taking position, possession of the all-inclusive Christ and enjoying his riches. Note 1 on Exodus 23, 23. How many believers are frustrated? They cannot discern soul from spirit. They cannot discern what is natural from what is in resurrection. And that is why they cannot testify from experience. This is what Christ is to me. But we have a hymn, 510. Written by a God-man who came from Chi Fu. And he could give us dozens of items. According to the word and according to experience of what Christ is. What Christ is to him. Item after item after item. But these tribes represent on this level. The natural life under the control of the enemy, which frustrates the believers from enjoying and possessing the all-inclusive Christ. Almost everyone is natural. The preaching ability is natural. The administrative ability is natural. The use of the intellect is natural. I've been there. I've done that. Allow me to say, you can't fool me. These are the tribes. Just the natural life. Then we go to Numbers 14. And there's a note at the end of Numbers 14. It's a short one. On verse 45, on the Amalekites and the Canaanites. In biblical typology, the Amalekites signify the flesh, the fallen fleshly people. The Canaanites signify human beings who have joined themselves to the evil spirits, to the satanic power of darkness in the air. In Matthew 16, Simon Peter 
was an Amalekite. He rejected the cross. He said, this shall not happen to you. Pity yourself, Lord. The Lord turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Show me the website. Show me the book. Show me the chapter in the book which will clearly show that the self is the expression of Satan. Because hardly anybody knows. And because hardly anybody knows, hardly anyone is qualified to fight. But Joshua knows. And those trained under Joshua know. And they are warriors with a two-edged sword and the first edge has cut their natural life and the self to pieces. Now the resurrection life in their spirit rises up and with the second edge they cut the enemy to pieces. Then in Numbers 21... We have verse 1, footnote 1, and about nine lines from the bottom, we have a note on the Canaanites. The Canaanites typify the fallen angels, the rebellious angels who follow Satan, who have become the powers, rulers, and authorities in Satan's kingdom. The fighting of the children of Israel against the Canaanites that they might possess and enjoy the good land typifies the spiritual warfare of the church as a whole, including all the members against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, that the saints may enjoy Christ as the all-inclusive land. The church must be such a corporate warrior fighting against Satan's aerial forces so that God's people may gain more of Christ for the building up of the body of Christ, establishing and spreading the kingdom of God so that Christ can come back to inherit the earth. Amen. I do not have a chip on my shoulder, but I'm speaking in a straightforward way. Show me the person. Give me the channel and the time. Give me the book. Give me the website of any minister in the U.S. today who is fighting so that all the people of God may enjoy the all-inclusive Christ. A man who, has, who denies himself whose whole ministry is in resurrection, who lives in and for the body of Christ, whose soul and spirit have been divided, who denies the soul and is willing to lose the soul life, and who experiences and enjoys Christ as his breath, as his love, as his life, as his power, as his country, 
as his food, as his drink, as his clothing, as his dwelling place, as his encouragement, as his power, as his love, as his light, as his strength, as his authority. On and on and on. Hundreds of items. But how sad. How tragically sad that the preachers in the United States would not recognize and then humble themselves to receive the ministry of a man who is just as I described. Because he's not Caucasian. Because he's not European. Because he's not seminary trained. Because he is what we would call a minority, but given the whole population of the earth, who's the minority? <laughs> Why would it matter? Why does it matter to you? What his complexion is, what his homeland is. Don't you want Christ? Don't you want the truth? Don't you want the reality? Don't you recognize it? In the 1960s, there were desperate seekers among us. The Lord made me such a one. Once I touched the ministry of the age, it didn't matter to me whether the minister was from China and his English was imperfect. Our spirit knows reality when it finds it. Are we not in the body of Christ? Are we not one new man where there is no Jew and Greek? Amen. Is that not a reality? Amen. Well, this ministry began in the USA almost 50 years ago with the conference in December 1962 on the all-inclusive Christ. Amen. And we have a book in the bookstore. I'm not selling books. I don't get a commission. I don't get a kickback of any kind. You read that basic book. So what we are fighting for, we're not fighting against any humans. We fight against blood and flesh. Amen. I'll tell you tonight, we are fighting on behalf of all the believers Amen. in the United States. Amen. Even all the believers on earth. Amen. You are being defrauded. You are being cheated. You are hearing the ABCs every Sunday night. The same simple message with an altar call. Your being longs for a full revelation based on the scriptures of the all-inclusive Christ. Amen. So we will fight for this. Tonight we're at war. Tonight Joshua is here. And we are at war. Don't worry, the victory's already been won. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Christ is victor. Now we need to continue our reading. We cannot fully develop everything, but we can get a taste. B. There is a spiritual warfare in the invisible scene behind the visible scene. This means that in addition to the war on the earth, there is a war between God and Satan in the air. Christ is our good land, and God wants us to gain Christ. But there is a layer of devilish demonic forces between us and the good land, if we would take possession of the good land for our enjoyment, we must defeat these satanic forces. In what sense do we defeat? Not directly. The God-man Jesus won an absolute victory over Satan and his followers on the cross. The evil spirits were swarming around him, according to Colossians 2 interfering with what he was doing. And the Lord stripped them off like a garment, made a display of them openly. Amen. So tonight, this is not a joke. We proclaim to the principalities and powers in the air over this part of the country, you have been defeated by Jesus. Amen. And we are seated in Christ in the heavenlies. We look down on you in the air. Amen. We judge you. Amen. Our God-man Jesus defeated the devil. Amen. Destroyed his kingdom. Amen. And now we are here actually not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Amen. And we're fighting in victory. Amen. And we are here, enemy, to tell you, you have been evicted. We drive you out of our personal life. We drive you out of our married life. We drive you out of our family life. We drive you out of our church life. We've got the ground to resist you. Because our Lord Jesus destroyed you on the cross. I feel like playing a little bit with you and saying, Yeah, 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 yeah. You're defeated. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Christ is victor. Amen. All of this is typified in the Old Testament, revealed clearly in the New Testament. Amen. Ephesians 2 indicates that in the heavenlies there are different layers. Christ is in the highest layer, the third heaven, to be everything is our good land. There is a lower layer in the heavenlies, the air, where Satan, as the ruler of the authority of the air, is frustrating the people on earth from contacting God and receiving Christ. This is typified by the Canaanites, who were frustrating Israel from entering into the good land. The Canaanites typified the natural man, the natural man controlled by the evil spirits, Eventually, the evil spirits themselves. If we would take possession of Christ for our enjoyment, we must be today's Joshua and Caleb, fighting against and defeating the satanic forces so that we can gain more of Christ. 
for the building up of the body of Christ. Setting up and spreading the kingdom of God so that Christ can come back to inherit the earth. So we pass through the combative section of the message. And now in the next 15 minutes allocated for this, we'll continue to look at some other matters. All in the realm of application. In order to possess the good land, we need to deal with the flesh. Enjoy the Lord's table. Enjoy the all-inclusive Christ as the produce of the good land and see a vision of Christ as our captain. So A says, the circumcision at Gilgal signifies the application of the Lord's death to our flesh. How many sermons will be given tomorrow on what is the flesh and how to deal with it? I doubt of very many. You don't build up a megachurch by giving people solid food. You don't build up a megachurch by speaking the message of the cross. You don't build up a megachurch by encouraging the seekers of the Lord to deal with the flesh, the self, and the natural constitution through the all-inclusive death of Christ. Only seekers respond to this. If you want baby food, if you want spiritual candy, we tell you we love you. We mean this sincerely in the Lord's presence. We're glad you're here. But you're in the wrong place. By the Lord's mercy to us, we are seeking him with every breath in our body. We consecrated ourselves to him decisively, radically, thoroughly, quite a long time ago. And we know we haven't arrived and we've got a long way to go. But we are here tonight in Atlanta because we mean serious business with the Lord concerning his eternal purpose. And if that involves the application of Christ's death to our flesh by circumcision, so be it. B, Israel's keeping the Passover, typifies the believer's keeping of the Lord's table. To remember the Lord is our Redeemer and Savior. Tomorrow morning, we will have the Lord's table. It's not a sectarian table. If God and Christ have received you, we receive you already. We have no questions. We will not interrogate you. We're not suspicious. Has not Christ died for you and forgiven your sins? Same as us. We will all come together tomorrow to remember the Lord and proclaim his death. And maybe we'll proclaim his death in a particular way. Maybe we'll proclaim with praises of victory and remind the enemy. Jesus the Nazarene destroyed the devil on the cross. Hallelujah. Christ is victor. Tell where'er you go. 
that the Lord is still the conqueror over every foe. Hallelujah, Christ is victor. Tell wherever you go that the Lord is still the conqueror over every foe. Revelation says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Here's an example of the word of our testimony. Enemy, you dare to assault us. We would like to remind you that the man, the man of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, destroyed you on the cross. Amen. He nullified all of your evil work. And this victorious Savior of ours, the God-man Jesus, God raised him from the dead. Amen. And when he was raised from the dead, he had the keys of death and Hades. Amen. And God caused him to ascend. Amen. And right now, Amen. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is on the throne. The head of the universe is Jesus. Amen. Praise Him. Amen. This is our testimony. Amen. This is how we fight. Come to the victory feast tomorrow morning. Let's remember the Lord and let us proclaim His death. Amen. Our gathering here is a testimony. Every negative thing has been defeated by the cross of Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We are justified by faith in Him. We have been born of God in the Spirit. We are a new creation. Praise the Lord. What a victorious Christ we have. Hallelujah, Christ is victor. Tell where you go. Amen. That the Lord is still the conqueror over every foe. Over every foe. Amen. Over your weakness. Amen. Over your temper. Amen. Over your besetting sin. Amen. Over every negative thing. Amen. The victory has been won. Amen. Who won it? Jesus Christ. The devil has been destroyed. Amen. Death has been defeated. Amen. The world has been judged. Amen. The middle wall of partition has been torn down. Amen. Praise the Lord. And the Lord created in his death one new man. Amen. Where there's no this, no that. Amen. No division. Amen. No alienation. Amen. No high. Amen. No low. Amen. No racism. No ism. Amen. Christ is all Amen. and in all. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. See, the produce of the good land typifies Christ as the consummated God-given food to the believers requiring their labor on him. The manna ceased. I once heard a TV preacher say, I don't care to expose the person. We're not against persons. He was lamenting the fact that the manna ceased and that they ate the produce of the good land. Because he was a miracle man. 
Whether the miracles are true or false, I don't know. But he thought there's no more miracle. That's a terrible thing. No, to advance from manna to the enjoyment of the all-inclusive Christ, that's beyond a miracle. So we're not the miracle people. We're just a group of crazy lovers of Jesus who are learning to enjoy Christ as the produce of the good land. And let me tell you this, we're just getting started. (laughs) You ain't seen nothing yet. And we ain't seen nothing yet. We've got a glorious future. We're pressing on. We're stretching forward. What a Christ is ahead of us. Joshua saw a vision in which Christ was unveiled as the captain of Jehovah's army. That the outward leader was Joshua, appointed and anointed by the Lord. Then this wonderful one appeared. Joshua sensed who he was. But he asked, are you for us or for our adversaries? The Lord would not respond. He said, I am the captain of the hosts of Jehovah. I'm the leader. I am the real soldier. Not you, Joshua. If you are to lead, you must be the first to worship. If you are to lead, you must be the first to follow. If you are to lead, you must be the first to recognize who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's not you. I am the one, the Lord Jesus himself. Let me take charge. Let me lead. Then Joshua was instructed, take off your shoes. For you're standing on holy ground. And Joshua worshipped. Now the remaining sections in the remaining minutes. Not that we're done. We'll never be done. We'll just press the pause button. And we need some time for your sharing. And then we have 15 minutes of special fellowship. Which is fellowship in the body. So we'd like to be limited that we can have these other functions. Okay, four. As God's people increased, the Lord would cut off the pagan tribes little by little, according to the degree of the increase of his people. The pagan tribes signify various aspects of our natural life, which hinder us from taking possession of the all-inclusive Christ. Now, don't expect... And I advise you, don't even pray. Oh, Lord, tonight, fully touch my natural life so there's nothing left. One mercy of the Lord is not to answer some of our dumb prayers. (laughs) We're well-intentioned. There's no doubt about it. But we actually have no idea what we're asking for. You just take away my whole natural life, and then I'm empty. I'll either be a prey to the enemy or it will be such a drastic blow, I won't wake up in the morning. And so, look, here's how it is. You're just going to have to be what you are until you're different. And you're going to have to be where you are until you're somewhere else. That doesn't mean you're content. 
That means you don't pretend. You know, if you're 19-year-old, huge biceps, bench press 400, don't, don't put this faux limp, like, <laughs> I am broken in my outer man. Come on now. Just be genuine. Just recognize I'm a young man in the Lord. That's no shame. This is the house of God with believers of different ages. And we just will be where we are until we're somewhere else. But six months from now, you should be somewhere else. Further along in Christ... Less of you, more of him. The pagan tribes signify various aspects of the natural life which hinder us from taking possession of the all-inclusive Christ. Okay, what hinders you from enjoying Christ is not your car that won't start. It's not this difficult person that you're rooming with. It's not the price of gasoline. It's you. Particularly your natural life. One day I got some real help from my wife. And I know I've learned if, if, if I ask something, I will get an answer. And so I was just bothered. I was just bothered. I didn't know why I was bothered. So I said, Susan, that's her name. Susan, why am I bothered? She said, it's your natural life. Well, I didn't say, what did you say about that? <laughs> Whose natural life? No. I said, thank you. Thank you. Of course. I'm in my natural life. Thank you very much. If you ever get to meet my wife, please follow this advice. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> It will be a blessing to you. As we grow in life, our natural life will be cut off gradually. According to the increase of Christ within us. So what's the best thing we can do while we're waiting for this to happen? Enjoy the Lord! Amen. Love Him! Amen. Five. Numbers 33, 50 through 53, reveals that God's people were to destroy all the idols in high places, the places where the idols were worshipped. Only then would they be qualified to take possession of the land and enjoy it. An idol is anything other than God that occupies us. And sometimes what occupies the teenagers is displayed on their walls. Pictures of this and that and this and that. Uh, I'm not legal. I'm not religious. I'm not going to inspect your house. I'm not going to ask your parents to take photographs of it and then send it to me for examination. <laughs> but there's a reason that it's there. And it might be an idol, and that person might be an idol to you. Well, the Lord will shine on that, because if there are idols in our hearts, we cannot have the genuine enjoyment of Christ. In the scripture reference for the next point, 
which point we will read, says something like this, Son of man, these people have set up idols in their hearts. I remember a retreat we had in Southern California. This was way back in the 70s. But the young people were really seeking high school and college age. So we went up to Big Bear. And after one meeting on Saturday, metaphorically speaking, the floor of the meeting area was littered with broken idols. That the Lord spoke to us, you have idols in your hearts. There's an idol chamber in your heart. Son of man, these people have set up idols in their hearts. And if there's an idol in our heart, we have no way to advance. The Lord is the heart knower. Don't go home and analyze your heart. Don't send me an email saying, will you send me a, you know, a photo, a, 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 an x-ray of my being? No, I'm not the x-ray man. The Lord is the x-ray man. You just go to him and say, Lord, I love you. I open my being to you. Is there anything in my heart that you consider an idol? And the Lord will graciously shine on you. And then you'll deal with it. Whether or not we can have the real enjoyment of Christ depends upon the extent to which there is a clearance of our inner being. See, why is it you're just walking down the street and you walk by a plate glass window and you just gaze at that image? Who could it be? Of course, it's you. <laughs> Gorgeous, huh? <laughs> That's an idol. That's your image. And finally, the victory of Israel over Jericho was not by their fighting, but by their blowing the trumpets and exalting Christ by bearing the ark through their faith in God's word of instruction. Amen. In spiritual warfare, the first thing we should do is exalt Christ. Amen. One characteristic of the Lord's recovery generally, we don't exalt anything, we don't exalt any matter, and we don't exalt any person. I fear your exaltation more than your attack. Whenever the praise comes, I immediately have to exercise to withdraw in the spirit and inwardly say, praise the Lord. Amen. Glory be to God. Amen. Unto him be glory in the church. We encourage one another. We appreciate one another's portion. But we do not exalt anyone. We do not uplift anyone. Brother Nee and Brother Lee were slaves of Christ Jesus who ministered the word of God to us for our perfecting. We honor them, but we follow them to exalt only the glorious Christ himself. The silence of the people signifies being one with the Lord to carry out the matter in the Lord's way without the expression of any thought opinion, or feeling. This requires much training. Joshua gets the strategy from the Lord of hosts, who's the commander. Just follow. This is war. This is military action. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. Don't express anything. This is war. This is not civilian 
activity. This is war. In war there must be strict discipline under the unique headship of Christ. No expression of a thought. Well, why do we have to walk around seven times? I'm tired. I have flat feet. I didn't put in my doctor's <laughs> shoals. Forget about it. Just keep walking. It's not going to hurt your feet. What are you going to do when the walls come tumbling down? Forget your feet. This is war. God did the fighting. <clears throat> and Israel simply shouted, proclaimed, and testified, Christ is victor! Amen. Jesus the Nazarene destroyed the devil! Amen. A Jewish man from Galilee destroyed the devil! Amen. Praise the Lord! Amen. Praise the Nazarene! Israel marched around the city with the ark, a type of Christ, as the embodiment of the triune God on the shoulders of the priests. The spiritual significance of this scene is that it is a picture of the corporate God-man. God and man. Man and God. Walking together as one person. I believe in the not-too-distant future this earth will see something maybe it has never seen before. It will see the move of the corporate God-man. Following our Joshua as we go on from victory to victory to evict the enemy and claim the all-inclusive Christ for ourselves and for all the believers. Whether they meet with us, whether they agree with us, whether they like us, that is irrelevant. They are our beloved brothers and sisters. This battle is for all the people of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, let's take some time to prophesy. We have about 12 minutes. If you could be very brief and exercised. And perhaps if you've spoken already, maybe not speak again unless you're really sure you and only you are anointed at that particular time. <laughs> Otherwise, I believe there are a couple dozen here that would like to share something. Please defeat the enemy by standing in faith, speaking in faith, something of the Lord's word to you. Amen?